Welcome to Beyond the Boardroom with me, Kieran Paul. It's time for our News in Brief episode, where I am joined by Incitia's Rebecca Sherritt and Antoinette Giblin. And also today, Miles Rogerson, another member of our fine editorial team. Essentially today, we will be discussing the top stories we think you need to know. So, welcome again, Rebecca and Antoinette. Thanks, Kieran. Always happy to be here. Good to be back, Kieran. And uh, joining us is Miles. Miles, good to have you on. Yeah, thanks. Glad to be here. Uh, now, we start with you, Antoinette. Uh, last month, you explored two rather interesting campaigns at Tesla and Pitney Bowes. How did both of those campaigns play out in the end? Yeah, indeed. There was a couple we were we said we were watching last time round. So Tesla, as you mentioned, that annual meeting took place on May 16th. And we had spoken about former Tesla tech chief, um, who uh, J.B. Straubel, who had been with the company until about 2019. And he had received backing uh, for his election from ISS, from proxy advisor ISS, but not from Glass-Lewis. Um, so it was an interesting one. And the reason he didn't get the support from Glass- Lewis was because of his long-standing ties to CEO Elon Musk. Um, And on top of that, a shareholder alliance um, recently also had spoken out about um, Straubel's nomination. Um, That alliance included Sock Investment Group, NIA Impact Capital and six other shareholders. And they had also warned the same thing, that replacing replacing an independent director with Straubel was not appropriate because it strengthened those ties between the board and Musk. However, he managed to get it across the line. He was elected onto the board at that meeting on the 16th of May. Um, and uh, the company's chair as well, Robin Dinholm, was also returned. She had also faced uh, some pressure with ISS recommending a vote against her due to concerns about oversight of the share pledges um, by the Tesla chief executive, Elon Musk, and his brother. Um, but she also got returned to the board. The other one you mentioned, Pitney, um, a shipping and mailing company. It saw its investors elect four directors put forth by Hestia Capital Management um, to the company's nine member boards. That meeting took place on on the 9th of of May um, and Hestia had targeted five board seats, um, but Pitney said it expects um, Hestia's own founder, Kurt Wolf, and three other of the dissidents' candidates to join its board. Um, Another one there, an interesting one in that ISS had recommended the four, while Glass-Lewis was only supportive of three. Uh, So two um, interesting ones ones um, that have taken place since we last spoke. Well, thank you for that, Antoinette. Uh, now, Rebecca, last episode as well, we were mid-recording uh, when some pretty big news broke about Icon Enterprises being shorted by Hindenburg Research. Now, what has happened in the weeks since that? Yeah, it's definitely been a busy few weeks for Carl Icon, having to juggle his campaign at Illumina, as well as the fallout of Hindenburg's short report which actually resulted in the US Attorney's Office reaching out to him for further information on his own operations. Shares in Icon Enterprises fell 24% the day of the short report's release, but did see quite a sharp upturn of around 16% in the days that followed, after Icon issued a statement dismissing the short seller's claims and also declaring a distribution in the amount of $2 per depository unit for the quarter ended on March 31st. And as far as Icon's campaign at Illumina is concerned, Icon's two board nominees have won the favour of Glass-Lewis, with proxy advisor ISS endorsing just one of his nominees ahead of the annual meeting. 
And Antoinette, what story caught your eye? You mentioned Shake Shack being targeted. Yeah, we've had a lot. It has been a busy season, but a new one that hit our newswire on May 15th that we wouldn't have spoken about before um, has also recently come to a conclusion as well. It was uh, um, a short term one. So um, the burger chain, it has averted a proxy contest with uh, Glenn Wellings Engage Capital by agreeing to name a Domino's Pizza veteran executive to its board. And they've also agreed to hire a consultant to help improve overall performance. So Jeffrey Lawrence, a former chief financial officer at Figs Apparel Retailer, who before that spent more than 20 years at Domino's Pizza, he joins Shake Shack's board thanks to a settlement deal with that activist. This all came to the newswire, as I said, on May 15th, but rumours had surfaced a few days before that that Engaged was planning this proxy fight for three board seats after spending several months, it's understood, uh, engaging with Shake Shack and without having any results. Um, So the activist um, told the restaurant chain's board to hire a consultant to improve overall operating efficiency and it also had said that it had identified ways to double the company's profitability within two years so that one um coming to a conclusion um pretty recently as well so they've come to that agreement with engage capital the insightia editorial team did actually identify shake shack as vulnerable to activism back in 2020 when we published a vulnerability report about the restaurant train's failure to keep up with competitors as well as its woefully weak financial performance and poor governance. And much like Engaged Capital, our reporters identified Shake Shack as a company in pretty dire need of boosting its operating efficiency and profitability to help bring it closer in line with peers when it comes to both performance and revenue. And sticking with vulnerability, Rebecca, um, we also on May 12th featured a report on energy, energy on Insightia, where weak profit margin versus peers, rising cost and a concerning debt level had put it in the 99th percentile of companies that our vulnerability module ranked as most likely to be the subject of activist investment. Um, and since then, um, pretty quickly, um, Elliot has since disclosed a 13% economic exposure to energy and says that the company has fallen behind peers in terms of shareholder returns in recent years. So another one um, that was picked up by our vulnerability module in recent weeks. Yes, and I certainly recommend those uh, vulnerability reports. Subscribers can read them on the vulnerability module. Uh, Now, Rebecca, what's your pick for the top news story in recent weeks? Well, for quite a while now, we've covered the increasing pressure on financial services companies to decarbonise. But a lot of this pressure has typically been centred on UK banks. So one story that really caught my eye recently was French bank BNP Paribas having committed to ending its financing of new oil and gas field activities after facing pressure from share action. BNP has set restrictions not only on its upstream oil client base, but has also made a commitment to no longer directly finance new oil and gas fields along with phasing out financing of non-diversified oil companies. And this news comes just three months after BNP was sued not once, but twice by Brazilian NGO Comissário Pastoral de Terra and French activist group Notre Affaire Atu in Paris Judicial Court. The first legal case claimed that BNP was not carrying out proper due diligence on the companies it was financing as regards to deforestation, while the second lawsuit claimed that BNP's loans to oil and gas companies breach a legally binding duty in France to ensure its activities do not harm the environment. 
Investors still aren't happy with BNP's new targets, though, with share action criticising the company's new targets for failing to restrict financing to natural gas segments of its client base. Now, just while you're at it, Rebecca, there are some other companies that have made similar commitments, um, HSBC being one of them. Um, last December, HSBC announced that it will no longer provide new lending or capital markets finance for projects or indeed infrastructure pertaining to new oil and gas fields as part of its updated net zero transition policy. And also, if you look at Lloyd's Banking Group, before that, indeed, in October of last year, Lloyd's Banking Group became one of the first UK banks to make a commitment not to directly finance new oil and gas fields. And I'm just thinking one other um, case that came up on the newswire as well would have been Barclays um, more recently in February of this year. Um, they indicated um a commitment to radically reduce financing for oil sands. So the company issued a statement saying that it will not directly finance new oil sands exploration, production or processing and will restrict finance to companies that generate more than 10% of their revenues from these activities. Um, So a number of decisions of that nature um, in recent months, definitely. Okay, so now moving on to our in-depth articles, where we have had many topics explored over recent weeks across activism and compensation. Uh, Miles, tell us about your recent one. Yeah, so um, data from our new compensation module showed that the average CEO total realised pay for companies on the FTSE 350 uh, increased to just over £3 million in the 2022 financial year. Uh, that marked about a 12% rise from the year before. Uh, similar rises were seen in the French CAC40 index, um, but we found that the average realised long-term incentive awards actually came in you know, just over £1.3 million in 2022, up from about £950,000 the year before. Uh, we also found that institutional investors are being more and more vocal about their intention to vote against outsized CEO payouts in recent months. And how are investors responding to the rise in CEO payouts? Yeah, so in the first three months of 2023, there were about 35 say-on-pay proposals subject to a vote at uh, FTSE 350 listed companies. Uh, the average support for these proposals was just under 93% compared to 93.5% in 2020 and 2021. Um, companies like Unicredit and Unilever are a couple of interesting examples of this. Uh, Unicredit's remuneration policy actually faced 30% opposition at the 2023 annual meeting. And uh, Unilever's say on pay plan faced nearly 60% opposition. So companies are definitely being called out for excessive CEO pay packages. I will also squeeze in a mention here that for any listeners who might be interested in learning more about executive pay trends in Europe, as well as how the cost of living crisis is impacting ESG engagements and M&A in the region, our latest special report, Corporate Governance in Europe, is well worth a read. And finally, then, uh, it's peak proxy season right now with plenty of campaigns coming to a head what are the big stories you are looking out for in the coming weeks let's go with you first Rebecca well for me every year I always look forward to all the Japanese utility company AGMs and this is mainly because one particular group of investors including market forces and man group usually file environmental shareholder proposals at these companies which continue to win more and more support from investors every single time. According to another one of our recent reports, Corporate Governance in Asia, average support for environmental proposals in Japan increased to 17% in 2022, compared to just 5.6% two years prior. 
So once again, companies like J-Power and Mitsubishi UFJ are going to face calls to enhance their net zero commitments. And I'm really interested to see if support continues to rise once again. Uh, and what about you, Miles? Well, SK Kaken, the Japanese chemical company, has its AGM coming up in late June. It'll actually mark the third consecutive time that activists' asset value investors has called on the company to reverse its weak share price performance. The activist is pushing the company to cancel 90% of the shares in its treasury uh, and to double the dividend from about 400 yen per share to 800. And Antoinette, what about you? Yeah, I'm going to keep an eye on US Community Bank First Foundation. Um, it's due to hold its annual meeting on the 27th of June. Um, so driver management has been pushing to install its director nominee, Alison Ball. She's um, a former Facebook executive um, whom the activists would like to see taking the place of a legacy board member there. Um, the argument there has been that the bank needs fresh perspectives at the top after it had an over 80% share price drop in the last year. But of course, First Foundation has come back fighting, um, saying that shareholders should give a lot more consideration to the fact that it's making efforts to stabilise the business, of course, taking into account the crisis that's engulfing the US regional banking sector at the moment. So um, that'll be an interesting contest. And Driver also has been very much involved at AmiServe as well, a court battle there ongoing to, to clear its three-person slate. And indeed, there has been a court battle at First Foundation. Um, they were um, Driver were only cleared to run their slate at First Foundation uh, on the 20th. 7th of April. So yeah, a one we look forward to seeing the outcome of. Absolutely. Yes, we do. Um, okay. Well, thank you, Antoinette. Thank you, Rebecca. I'll see you uh, next time. Uh, Miles, do you reckon you're up for doing this all over again sometime? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that sounds great. There you go. You'll hear him here. Uh, well, that's it for today's episode, though. These news in brief episodes are brief, uh, but remember to download our latest report, Corporate Governance in Europe, which is the definitive review of all things shareholder activism, proxy voting and stewardship throughout the region. I'm Kieran Paul, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>